Father, it is good to be with my family and gather under your word. And that is what I desire for to come out, is your word. Let the truth be spoken. Your truth and nothing but the truth. Give me concision of speech, power by your spirit, and faithfulness in everything. Let this word go deeply and transform us for many years to come, for your glory and our joy in you. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. What is God saying to you right now? In this season, what is God saying to you? Do you know? What is he trying to show you about himself and yourself? God is speaking, but the problem is we don't always listen. And more sadly is that we can't listen because we don't want to listen. And that is something I am guilty of regularly. It's true that if God ever really needs to get our attention, he can knock you off a horse like he did Saul that turned into Paul, or he could speak through a donkey like Balaam's donkey and warn you. But in the day-to-day -day for God's people, he is trying to speak and reveal to us, but often we can't hear him. When it comes to truly connecting with God on a deeply relational level, I'm convinced that now is the hardest time to be a Christian when it comes to connecting with God on a relational level. For sure, there are places in our world and there are times where people don't have access to God's word. There's times where people are in, under tremendous persecution physically. Things that we uh, pampered American Christians have little idea about, except in reading and in testimonies. But when it comes to truly, deeply connecting with God on an intimate level, I think the debt is stacked against us. We live in these urban jungles with these things, supercomputers attached to our side, where work never is but a swipe away. We work in our beds when we wake up, first thing, as we use our phones as alarms. We work even on the toilets. Anybody? We work all the time. And we're distracted all the time. You can even work at the dinner table while your kids are trying to make eye contact with you and you're looking down. Something that I've been guilty of. And every time I go to a restaurant, I look at the fathers especially. How do they handle their phones when they're with their families? It's a constant check from my own heart. The reality is everyone is busy. When was the last time you asked someone, hey, are you busy? And they said, no, I'm free and available. People don't say that. It is a virtue to be busy. We feel a sense of importance if we're busy and there's lots of demands in our life. And with all of this busy busyness, what we don't realize is not only our schedules are being filled up, but our souls are being filled up. But not the right way. Not the best way possible. There is a pervasive busyness and hurriedness that is toxic to our souls. And it's all around us and it's our culture what we're drinking in. This chronic Hurriedness and distraction builds this chronic anxiety. A few years ago, the APA surveyed a thousand U.S. adults about their sources and levels of anxiety. And check this out. And they found out that 39% reported being more anxious than they were at this time last year. That was just a couple years ago. 39%. Approximately 40 million adults, roughly 18% of the population, have anxiety disorder. Check this line out from Business Insider. It sometimes seems, seems as if our phones function like an extra limb on our bodies. Now, research demonstrates exactly how attached to the devices we really are. The typical cell phone user, you see this? Touches his or her phone 2,617 times every day. I'm skipping some words, but that's just the average user. The study found that extreme cell phone users meaning the top 10% touch their phones more than 5,400 times daily. 5,400 times daily. What are we running from with this excessive use of our phones? What are we hiding from? What are we escaping from? What are we distracting ourselves from? So many of us, due to this age that we are living in, are constantly living with a low-grade sense of guilt and shame low grade sense that we're never doing enough a low grade sense that we're not enough 
of anxiety. Many of us are angry, but we don't even know why we're angry. Many of us are anxious, and we don't have a, we can't even really catch our breath. There's a sense of like, I can't even take a full breath. There's just this constant sense of something is not right. Never feeling rested enough, no matter how much you sleep. Never feeling satisfied enough, no matter how much you binge. But what if there was a practice that was a gift from God that has been utilized by Christians for millennia, that is a gift for our souls? A practice that has never been more relevant and needed than today. The great news he has, he has not left us to our demise in this cultural situation we're in. This practice is called silence and solitude. That's the typical name many different Christians have called it over the years. You don't need to get overly caught up because it does come with some baggage and there's misuses of this, but I believe using this rightly is one of the greatest remedies for our society. Now, you guys probably realize that we're on a series called Life Together. How to be healthy as a community. Keys essential to, to a thriving community. And so you may ask yourself, if you're critically thinking, why are you talking about being alone when this whole series is about being together? Well, to be with others, you must first learn how to be alone. If you cannot disengage from community, you cannot meaningfully engage with community. If you can't be alone with the Father in the secret place, then you will bring all that junk and toxicity into your relationships. You have to be able to be alone with your fears, your inner demons, your shame, your doubts, your thoughts. See, this is the temptation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pretty well-known teacher that some of you may know his name. But he created this community, and he made a lot of observations of how Christian community can thrive or actually spiral. He makes this one comment. It should be on the screen. Those who take... Oh, that's the next one. Maybe the first one's on there. Let me hear, read this out loud. Hopefully you can track with me. Those who take refuge in community while fleeing from themselves are misusing it to indulge in empty talk and distraction. No matter how spiritual it may appear, in reality, they are not seeking community, community at all, but only a thrill that will allow them to forget their isolation for a short time. That is why he also says later on in his book, Life Together, whoever cannot be alone should beware of community. Whoever cannot be alone should be aware of community. If you cannot be alone with a father in the secret place, you will ultimately turn the community to become something that it cannot be. And you will ultimately abuse the community and abuse yourself. You will ultimately look to the community to be a form of God, and they cannot be God. And so they will let you down. And you will fall into being disenchanted, disoriented, and often cynical about the church. You must first learn to be alone with God if you want to be with others. Let's look at the life of Jesus and understand how he connected deeply with the Father amidst tremendous challenges and distractions and demands. We're not going to use the term silence and solitude throughout the sermon. I'm going to have another term that I think could be more helpful for our purposes. So now let's look at Jesus' pattern. We're going to go through a number of different passages that look at the life of Jesus. So Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. If you can turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible. If not, it's on the screen. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So, this is a pretty well-known passage for those of you who've been part of church at any point in time. But for those who aren't, um, Jesus is beginning to start his ministry. But before we know of any known miracles or disciples, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness, this word wilderness, is the Greek word called eremos. And 
I know that some people can be kind of snooty with using Greek, but I have a good purpose behind it. So everyone say with me, eremos. One more time, eremos. We're going to use that a lot. This word eremos is not just wilderness or desert. It can be also translated desolate place, deserted place, lonely place, quiet place. And what we're going to see is that Jesus starts his ministry by retreating into the Aramos, and throughout his whole ministry, he will continue to go back to the Aramos for different reasons. There are a lot of reasons why he went initially for these 40 days, one being that he was showing that he is the truer and better Israel who succeeded to resist temptation for 40 days while the Israelites failed for 40 years. There's a lot of significance here, but one thing that we can highlight about Jesus going to the Aramos is that he wanted to be with the Father. See, the Aramos is a place of weakness, but it also produces strength. In the desolation, in the loneliness, in the lack, it gives capacity and creates space for the Father to come and fill. And you see Jesus doing this over and over again, going to the Ramos empty so that he can be filled. So, first point that I'm going to kind of repeat in different formats. Before you begin any endeavor, like Jesus' ministry, but this is now for us. Before you begin any endeavor in your life, significant endeavor, retreat with the Father into the Ramos. Before you begin anything significant, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a job or a move or something big, going to a new school or maybe joining a new church, retreat into the Aramos with the Father. Let's look at another passage, Luke 4, 42. Just look a little bit over in your Bible, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. That word is, guess what? Aramos. He went into a... Ramos. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue to Judea. Okay, so the context here is that Jesus has been all, up all night long healing and casting out demons and ministering to very, very desperate, needy, hot, uh, energy-draining, sucking people all night long. They come to him when the sun goes down and he's all night long healing and ministering to people. And at the end of it, what would you do? I would sleep. I would sleep or I'd pull out my phone or watch some YouTube clip on golf swings or something like that. That's, that's me. Okay? That's my temptation. Okay, Golf swings on YouTube right now. Okay, But what does Jesus do? He gets alone into the Aramos. He retreats alone into the Aramos to be with the Father. When demands are heavy, when you are exhausted from work and ministry and serving, what does Jesus do? He goes to be with the Father in the Aramos. What do you do? What do I do? Maybe we do that. Instead of sleeping, he gets alone with the Father. So, when you are exhausted, get alone with the Father in the Ramos. Look what the people want him to do, though. Did you notice it says here that they came to him and would have kept him from leaving them? Do you see that? They want to convince him to stay. But what happens when you're in the Ramos with the Father? You get clarity about your purpose. You get clarity about your mission and why you exist and why you're here. And so Jesus, instead of living by the tyranny of the urgent, in other words, living by the impulses and the desires of other people and just re-responding re uh, reactively to whatever people want and whatever demands are coming, he goes alone to be with the Father in the Ramos, gets his purpose, gets his identity, gets his connection, so that when he comes out and there's crowds of people trying to grab him, trying to keep him in the state, he says, listen, I love you, but I, I can't stay here. I have a purpose that God, the Father, has given me that I must continue preaching on to the other cities. This is striking to me because you would say, Jesus, how cold are you? How unloving these people are in need. 
And yet, Jesus has the wherewithal, the connection with the Father, the clarity about his purpose, where he can say meaningful, thoughtful no's, so that he can say yeses to the purposes God has for him. And this is something most Christians never learn, on how to say meaningful, thoughtful no's, so they can say yes to God's purposes. You either say no to everything, or you say no, yes to everything. So when you lack clarity about your purpose, about what God has for you in the season, get alone with God in the Uranus. Get alone with the Father to have him speak into your situation. Shortly after this, Jesus cleanses a leper, an incurable disease, something that we can't relate with, but it's incurable. And so word spreads throughout the entire region. So what happens when word spread? Crowds spread. Crowds grow. And they come like a mass of people. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to, what's that word? Aramos, and pray. This, this would right here in, in the ESV, he would, is significant. It doesn't say Jesus withdrew, but he would. Which implies that it's a continual action. Most translations of this, uh, of this passage make it a little bit more explicit, but if you read your ESV careful enough, you can catch it. Let me show you the New American Standard Bible, or NASB. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the Eremos and pray. Look at the, the message paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. I love that. I know we're all busy here. I know that. I know most of you enough do I know. I know that you feel suffocated by how many demands are on your life. I get it. But there's a difference between busyness because you have committed to a lot of things you shouldn't commit to and demands upon your life that you can't get around. Jesus had unbelievable amount of demands. Not just a few demands, we're talking thousands of demands, namely people and faces who want his attention and his ministry and his service. But instead of caving into their desires, like I mentioned earlier, and sacrificing his own relationship with God to appease them, he knows to say no. He knows to walk away, to be alone with the Father, to get clarity and power and purpose in the Eremos. We actually see this even more explicitly in the Gospel of Mark, which is a parallel passage. So Mark gives us a little different portrait of this same situation. Look at Mark 135. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a Eremos, and there he prayed. Jesus doesn't let quiet time just sneak up upon him. It's like, oh, it's just quiet. No, he makes time to be with the Father. He goes out of his way. In our modern age, friends, quiet time is rarely discovered, but it has to be created. In fact, right now, there's something called the attention economy. Do you guys know what that is? It's billions of dollars. Their whole goal, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the other things out there, is solely this. How can we keep you on our app as long as possible? How can we get you as addicted as possible so we can throw ads and charge for them? How can we steal your attention and get you addicted to come back over and over and over again? In our modern age, we cannot, unless you are Amish and live out in nowhere, you can't just, oh, I have quiet time. You have to fight for that quiet time. And even like us, Jesus had to do the same. With all the demands, he had to go alone. He had to physically distance himself. He had to wake up before everyone else to be with the Father in a quiet place. So just like him, we need to make time. But please note that Jesus is not retreating as an end to himself. He's not doing Proverbs 18.1. Be on the screen. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Solitude with the Father is not the same thing as isolation. Isolation is retreating, escaping. Solitude is engaging. It's disengaging from all the craziness so you can engage with the one who matters most. 
It's shutting out all the other voices so you can hear the only voice that really matters. It's very purposeful. I know some of you introverts in here are like, this is the best sermon I've ever heard from Sam. Yes, being alone. Yes. Finally, extroverts, are you listening? Get away from me. I get it. I get it. I understand. And, and, and I want you to know, as someone who's wired a little bit more to be an extrovert, I, I know you guys don't believe me, but I'm kind of just a little bit on the extrovert side. This is a very hard practice for me. But my soul needs it. And you extroverts need this. And you introverts, just because you're alone doesn't mean you're doing this right. Just being alone by yourself and staring out to space or doing whatever you like to being alone is not actually what we're talking about. See, Jesus is not seeking his own desire, but the Father's desire. See, because right now, all of you have desires being thrust upon you all the time. By friends, spouse, by co-workers, by your bosses, by the media. Desires, desires, do this, do this, want this, you should do this. And so what we need to is physically remove ourselves so we can hear from the one who we truly want to please. The one that we really need to hear his desires. His will above our will. Mark chapter 136 feels relatable in some ways. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus, Jesus is in a situation where if he wants to be with the Father, it won't be long where people hunt him down <laughs> to distract him. And if any of you parents out there um, feel like you can't, Jesus can't relate with you, he can. He has disciples searching for him. We have kids searching for us. And for the rest of us, you know what comes at us? Our texts, our messages, our emails coming. Hey, 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 stop that. Stop that. I need your attention. Hey, over here. Sam, over here. We, we, Jesus can relate with this. So what's one of the principles here that we see? Jesus is healing incurable diseases, so his popular, popularity is increasing. What does he do? When his popularity increases, he doesn't give in to being around more and more. He actually retreats to be alone with the Father. For me as a pastor, if I'm not careful, I can spend every working hour with someone in the church. I literally could do that. Constantly putting out fires, constantly trying to please people, constantly trying to meet people in their needs. And indeed, I am a servant. My life as a Christian, as you are, those who are Christians here, is supposed to be a life of service. Our lives are a living sacrifice poured out for others. But if you're constantly just reacting and pouring out without thoughtfully being with the Father first, you will burn out, and you will be no good for anyone. So like me, we all must seek the Father first and be with Him, especially when demands in our life increase. The challenge for me is that when demands in my life increase, my time with the Lord decreases. Anyone relate with me? When I have more kids, I have four right now, when, time, when demands increase, Diapers increase and multiply, I found myself praying less. And what the principle is here that we can see in Jesus' life and many saints throughout history is that when demands increase, don't let your prayer life suffer. Actually, increase your prayer life to match the demand. And you will find you're able to do things that you could never imagine because you're doing it with the strength from Him, not your own. But what will happen is often we let demands dictate our schedule and our time with the Lord. And so when time with the Lord decreases and increases of demands on our life, what happens is that it just continues to grow. Because we, come, we get behind the ball, we can't handle all the pressures, and then we just start falling apart. When demands upon your life increases, retreat with the Father into the ramos. Luke chapter 6 now. We have a few more. In these days, he went to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from the, them twelve, whom he named apostles. The passage here does not say Eremos, but the same concept is here. He went alone to a place, a mountain, often went to a mountain, because not a lot of people are on the mountain. And he prayed all night to be with the Father. And, result, and it resulted in the twelve apostles. What's the principle here? Whenever you need to make a significant decision, 
get alone with the Father in the Oremos. Anytime you need to make a significant decision, go beeline straight to be with the Father alone first. Look at Luke 9, 18. Another example, quickly. Now it happened that he was praying alone. Disciples with him. And he asked them, what do, who do the crowd say that I am? It's kind of interesting. We see this pattern with Jesus that he would take a few of his select disciples to be with him alone. And then he would be kind of separate. So there would be kind of layers where they would be maybe here. And then he would be over there. So there is a concept of having solitude with the Father among community. We can talk about that a little more later. Luke chapter 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples came to the Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Notice that he's praying in a certain place. One final one to highlight. This is the most powerful one. Luke chapter 22. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In the last hours of Jesus' life, he, would, he knew he was about to be deserted, deserted by his friends. He knew he would be betrayed by one of his friends. He knew he would be denied by one of his closest friends. He knew he would be tortured like a, like a criminal. And that he would ultimately experience incalculable suffering, excruciating suffering, and executed on a cross. He knew all this was coming. And what does he do when the pressures are coming? When hell is right around the corner? He gets alone to be with the Father. What should you do when you know something's coming around the corner? When you know hell is knocking at the gate, you get alone to be with the Father. Jesus knows he needs to be with the Father. He knows and knows he needs to be reminded of his will. He needs to be reminded of his purposes and his plan. Get alone with the Father. When you know you are about to go through a nightmare or you're living in it, get alone. With the Father in the Aramos. Don't click, don't swipe, binge Netflix or food or substances, busy yourself with work or distract yourself with company. Get alone and be with God first. Don't verbally process and, and, and vent all your frustrations to your community. No, vent it to God first alone. Vent your confusion, vent your frustrations, vent your your hurts pour out before God first. So Jesus' life has a clear pattern. Jesus would intentionally, physically distance himself and retreat to be alone in the Aramos. And Jesus would have to go out of his way to accomplish this task. It wasn't something that was just easily, that just came upon him. And third, he went alone in order to pray and be with the Father. Jesus also had longer portions, like the wilderness, for 40 days, but he also had daily retreats at times. And sometimes it seems like he took his disciples after a long ministry trip to be alone for a couple of days. Overall, when you look at Jesus' life, he spent more time with others than alone. But he made sure he spent time with the Father alone. And Jesus did all of this in a context of incredible demand that you and I cannot even fathom. I am impressed by a lot of you here, but none of you here have thousands of people mobbing for your attention, physically, trying to knock down and find you wherever you go. You do have Twitter and Instagram doing something similar, but it's not the same. And Jesus was able to do it. So what's the goal of the Aramos for us? If you're taking notes, what's the goal? First, disengage with God. It's a temporary disengaging of the world so that you can deeply engage with God. And the second goal is to be able to engage with others, ultimately. You disengage with others temporarily so that you can come back ultimately better to love them and serve them. For those who 
connect with military terms, you like that kind of stuff, it's a tactic, tactical retreat so that you can go better back into battle. David Mathis in his book Habits of Grace says it well like this. We want to come back better, not only rested, but more ready to love and sacrifice. We want to find new clarity, resolve, initiative, or return, prime to redouble our efforts by faith in our callings in the home, among friends, at work, and in the body of Christ. See, the point is that you leave so you can come back better. You're not just leaving to retreat because of your pain and your fears. You're leaving to give those to God so that when you go back in the community, you can meaningfully engage with one another in a healthy way. This is the how of the Remo, Ando Ramos. I'm going to try to speed this up for the practical parts. You need three things. Sacred time, sacred place, and sacred plan. Okay, when I mean sacred, I mean just set apart. Sacred. Sacred time. As we all know, in any important relationship in your life, you have to be intentional to make time. Especially the more responsibilities you have in your life, the more different things come at you, you cannot just assume good quality time will happen with a spouse or best friend or family member. You have to make time. It's the same thing with our Father. If it's not scheduled, it usually won't happen. And if you wait until you desperately need time in the Ramos, it's already too late. You need to have it assuming things are going to be happening in your life. You need to have it on a regular rotation. So whether you're in a crisis or it's just the day-to-day -day mundane, it's set apart so you can be with the Father. You need to schedule it, schedule it in your time, in your calendar, and hold on for dear life. Someone says, hey, you busy that day? You say, yes. <laughs> I have an engagement with the Father. Or that sounds super spiritual. You can just say, I have an engagement. And then if they ask questions, you can explain. You're like, hey, there's this great sermon my, my pastor. You can, you can do something like that. For a vibrant life in Christ, I recommend a daily time with the Father in an Oremos, a weekly time, and a yearly or bi-yearly or even quarterly if you're Work schedule allows it. Each of those times being longer. Daily time being, you know, within the means of your day. 30 minutes, an hour, whatever works for your situation. The reality is a lot of us can spend more time than we realize. Weekly time being a larger portion, maybe on a Sabbath that you have. Maybe you can take, if you're married or you have other situations at home that are complicated with responsibility, you can take shifts with someone. So my wife and I have a rotation on Friday where I give her the morning and then she gives me the afternoon. And then on Sabbath, we're just pouring out our lives for our kids to really engage each other. And then every year or maybe twice a year or quarterly, have a retreat that you can go. It doesn't have to be expensive. We're not talking about going to some Ritz-Carlton. There is a retreat center um, that I'll recommend and send out an email this week that is very affordable that you can do. Um, and just be alone with the Father and have it set as a rotation. Um, with, with those who have kids, you can take shifts. Say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go for one day and then come back and then you take the next day. Or if you have the ability to go together, you can go together and then you could go alone and then come together and debrief and pray together. And then go alone and come back together. There's ways that you can be creative. Every single one of our situations and contexts are unique. And I guarantee if you lean into your community and you think and pray, God will give you creative ways that you can have in a Ramos regular rhythm in your life. Now, when we talk about sacred place, Jesus would physically remove himself. So I'm not talking about do this in your bed. Literally, physically remove your plate, yourself, turn off your phone, do what you got to do to have minimum distractions and be alone with the Father. Try to pick a regular place. The more you can have a consistent regular place, the more you will be able to have these physical cues that you see it and there's a secret special kind of connection. And this is neurological as well as in your heart where you'll be like, oh, my time with the, my place with the Lord. It could be a part of your house or maybe um, somewhere in a park when it's warm, there, there, you can be creative. I, I know when I was in Bible college in California, I lived with eight other guys in a three-bedroom apartment. And so it was very, very challenging to be alone. So I had to wake up super early, or I had to go walking in the mountains, or going on a walk, or I'd hide myself in the porch, finding ways to be alone. If you're creative, God will help you meet him. And if you're thinking to yourself, Sam, I'm too busy. 
I'm too busy. Let me share a story about Susanna Wesley. Many of you guys know of her sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. Check this out. Among the noise and activity of her many children, Susanna's trick was to pull her apron over her head, signaling, signaling to her, I think it was like 18 children or something. Oh, 19 children. Sorry. Sorry, Susanna. 19 children. <laughs> signaling to her 19 children to leave her alone. She was in prayer and not to be disturbed. I would love to visit one of your houses and I look over and you have an apron over your head. <laughs> and your kids are all standing waiting for you to be there. That'd be fantastic. You probably don't need to do that, but I'm just saying if you're creative, God will meet you there in all of our situations. So what will be your Ramos? What is your Ramos? Find a daily place, a weekly place, and a yearly place where you can be alone with the Father. Finally, you need a sacred plan. If you, especially if this is a foreign habit for you, you're going to really struggle. I'm not going to lie. You're going to experience a lot of anxiety, a lot of pain. Because if you've ignored the secret place with the Father for a long time, you have a long backlog of unmet longings, unmet expectation, unmet hurts that are still that are raw, that will reveal itself in the secret place. And you need to be prepared for that. So lean into community so people can be there to support you, pray for you, all that kind of stuff. But when you go try to have a plan, I sent out a handout that's on most of the chairs. We're also emailing it out that you can use that as a guideline. They're just tips. Don't let this be some sort of legalism. Like, I have to get through every point to have a good time with God. You may just stick on one or two points for the entire time because God is meeting you there. These are just guidelines and helpful best practices to help you engage with God meaningfully when you're trying to be alone in an extended time. You can pare this down for daily stuff, but this is helpful for extended time. Now, there are two sets of questions I list at the bottom of the last page in that handout. I want to cover them really quickly. These are questions you can ask yourself if you ever have extended prayer or journaling. It's on the screen right now. First, what is God trying to say to me? Just ask yourself that. What is God trying to say to me? Be listening. Two, is there anything I'm repressing or ignoring? Maybe it's something you're afraid or anxious or angry about. Question three, what am I believing about myself? What story I'm telling about myself? What's the narrative, the truth, or the lies I'm telling and feeding myself? And finally, what does God say to all of us? Those questions right there can really serve you on a daily basis. Now I'm going to give you one more set of questions for a tool for a specific event. If there's a painful event that's happened, consider asking these questions. What happened? What am I feeling? What is the story I'm telling myself? What does the Father say? And what is the counter-instinctual act that is required? Okay, let me explain that, because I know that's going to kind of go over a lot of our heads. This is adapted from uh, Pastor Rich Velotis in his book, Deeply Formed Life, which I recommend, but not recommend every page. just want to say that on the side. Let me share an example of this that's a few years back, so none of you guys can like, figure out who I'm talking about. I was part of an organization where I was expected to be put in a position. And there was a peer of mine who was in a lower position that was told that was going to be put on my position as well. And I was excited about that. But one day, I get an email that went out to the entire organization that said, this peer of mine who was in a non-position actually leapfrogged over me into the position I wanted, in the position I thought was being, I was being groomed for. I'm trying to use weird language like organization and stuff just to not give you guys any clues of anything. And so that was deeply painful and hard for me. So what, am I, what happened? Well, a friend of mine leapfrogged over me to get a position that I thought was promised to me and I was blindsided about it, not told by the leadership that this was happening. What am I feeling? I am feeling betrayed. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling overlooked. I'm feeling not enough. What's wrong with me? Why did they pick him over me? I'm trying to be honest at this stage. What is all the feels inside? I'm feeling rejected. Feeling not enough. So what's the story I'm telling myself? I'm not good enough. Nobody wants to lead with me. 
that guy's better than me. And so I try to tease out what are these lies that I'm feeling? What is the story I'm walking into? And then fourth, what does the Father say? Sam, you are accepted. Sam, I am in control over every single position. Sam, I have good for you. Sam, I have a plan and a process for you. Sam, I discipline you because you're a son and I love you. So, so in this stage, I am letting the Father wash over all the lies that are swimming in my heart and cleansing those lies out. And finally, what is the counter-instinctual act that is required? What, what that means is, instinctually, I want to boo that guy in my heart. I want to be bitter at the leadership. But what's the counter-instinctual? How can I go against my fleshly instincts? I'm going to champion that guy. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to hope he's better than me in every way possible. I'm going to bless my leaders, trusting and knowing that they probably have a, a picture that I, in my limited capacity, can't see. I'm going to fight against all these instincts inside of my soul. And then one thing that I thought of today that I didn't do, that I should have done, is I need to go to the leadership one day humbly and say, hey, this is what happened. This is how it came across me. This is how it felt. Can I understand more? Because I don't want to do that, to be honest. I want to just bury this in my heart and brood over it and be bitter and jealous and angry and let them never know it and just me subtly distance myself. And so what is the counter-instinctual act you need to press into when you discover this stuff coming out? Those are some really helpful tools you can do when your time with God. You can also preemptively reverse these questions if you know something's coming up. So let's say you have a job interview coming up, and you can ask yourself these questions. What could happen? What could I feel uh, if, if you got it or if you didn't get it? Are you guys tracking with me? You can do this preemptively to cover all your bases to know what, how you could respond in the most godly way, no matter what will come at you. It's an amazing practice. But you may think to yourself, Sam, this is a lot of work. Who has time for this? You're right. It is a lot of work. And that's why it's so rare to find someone who has a healthy soul. That's why so many of us are just chronically anxious and so over busy and hurried and not present. Because this kind of work takes intentionality, and intentionality takes work. We don't want that. We want to go with the flow. And if you go with the flow, you'll go with your emotions and your impulses and your anxieties and whatever is surrounding you and pressing you and telling you what to do. You have to swim against the current if you want a healthy, flourishing soul. Here's some quick keys to success. First, be real. Be honest with who you are when you go with the Father. He already knows. Don't try to be something you're not. You cannot relate with God if you're not being yourself. So if you're angry and ticked off at Him because something in your life, don't try to act, oh God, you're just the greatest. I love you. And you pick your favorite worship songs when inside you're brooding and angry at Him. Go to him and tell him how you feel. He knows he's a big boy, big boy in quotes. He can handle it. He can handle your mess. If you're not honest with where you're at, he will not be able to minister to you where you're at. Because you're trying to be something you're not. Or be someone you're not. Be who you are with him in the quiet place. Pour out your anxieties in your heart. Here's another thing. Pour out before you leak out. Too many of us have all these anxieties filling up all these insecurities and pains and frustrations, and it bottles up so it starts to leak out sideways in our relationships. You know, you ever had those times where you blow up at someone, and then <laughs> you blow up at someone, and then you think to yourself, where, where did that come from? That seemed a little off. Or someone blows up you, and you're like, uh, I, I just, you know, it, it, this happens for us. It leaks out sideways, and eventually explodes out if you don't pour out. Psalm 62 it is such a helpful passage. Trust him in him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart to him. He can handle it. Be real. Spend the early moments of your time with the Father, whether it's daily, quarterly, or weekly, just telling him your anxieties, telling him your fears, telling your frustrations. This is what happened, and this hurt, and this is how I feel about it. Father, I give everyone and everything to you. Just do that in the beginning. Before you feel like you have to say all the other stuff, just pour out your heart so you can receive and be filled up with the Father. 
There's an app that I recommend you getting if, you, if you'd like, it's free, it's called the Pause app. And it has one, three, five, and 10 minute increments where you just click it on, it has this like soothing music, but it basically just walks you, Father, I give to you everyone and everything. And it just helps you walk through slowly breathing and just giving things, casting your anxieties before the Lord cares for you. And for me, as someone who does like digital things, technology, I try to utilize that and redeem technology by trying to do that throughout the day. Just pausing and being with God. Setting timers to do that and slowing down. Okay, keep going, keep going. Okay. Um, set realistic expectations. Just like you shouldn't go on a first date and feel like you have connected at a level that someone has 20 years with their spouse, do not do that to the Lord. If you are unfamiliar with Him and don't know how to pray and be with Him, don't set an expectation it's going to be fireworks overnight. And it's going to be the greatest thing ever, the best thing ever. It may be. But it may be kind of boring, and it may be kind of hard, and it may be kind of mundane. But you just keep going at it. You have this rhythm in your life. Not overly burdening every expect every meeting to just be the life-changing thing, but just showing up. You keep doing that, he's gonna, you're going to experience deep healing and flourishment. It's like eating meals. You know, every time you eat a meal, like, this must be the best meal ever. You just keep eating Church, imagine what it would be like if our community was filled with members who knew how to be with the Father alone first, in the arenas. How many angry outbursts and jealous rage and envy and selfishness would be eliminated if we first just went with the Father alone? How many misunderstandings would be healed? How many deep wounds would be restored and relationships restored and wounds healed? It's only when you have poured out and filled up with Father that you can receive and finally give to others. We complain often and gripe to everyone but to God. Too many of us try to make the community be what only God can be. And so when we do this, like I said earlier, earlier our community will fail us so then we become disenchanted disoriented bitter at the community because we were trying to make it something it cannot be you gotta be with him alone first if you are regularly alone with the father you'll be able to be meaningfully be meaningful with others in order to be together we got to be alone first church i know that many of you by the end of this teaching agree with my words and the teaching and the logic and stuff. But you know the reality is that the majority of you guys will go back and not do this. Because this is hard. And this is so counter-cultural. I've heard sermons kind of like this so many times. Amended, it, took even notes, and walked away doing nothing. And I'm just pleading with you. you got to have this rhythm in your life. You gotta have it. And I'm not saying that in a legalistic way. Like, if you want, if you want God to love you, you gotta do this. I'm saying, if you want to know the love of God, you gotta do this. If you want to experience it, if you want to receive it, if you want to receive the joy, and when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are wearisome and heavy laden, come to me and find rest for your soul. If you hear passages like that in the Bible and your heart does not connect, say, I don't know what that means or looks like. It's because you probably are missing out on this. Probably more than this, but for sure this. Please, church, heed me. Lean into your community, into your accountability groups, and try to figure out a way to implement this at some level and take baby steps through this. You need this. We need this. Our souls are craving to be alone with the Father. We have such a backlog of toxicity in our heart that needs to be poured out with the Father. We need to hear his voice speaking to our situation. So many lies that need to be dispelled. Church, please, please, I'm begging you as one of your shepherds, do not neglect this practice. You need it in our community. If we ever want to grow further and flourish, intimacy and, and relationally, we've got to have this in our life. And so let me end with this. The greatest news about this sermon is that actually God wants to be with you. See, we're not showing up in the Ramos hoping that he shows up, hoping that he likes us or pays attention. He's already there waiting. <laughs> You're not trying to curry his favor or try to bend his arm for him to like you. He already does. He's already made every provision possible so that you can be with him. He gave his only son to separate the chasm between us. And the sad thing is that we constantly increase that chasm, constantly increase that distance on our own. 
He has made every possible effort to be with us. Jesus took the wrath and punishment that we deserved so we could have reconciliation with the Father. Pastor Ross said this in, in some of our sermon prep. He said this, Jesus had a moment of terrible separation from his Father so that we could have a lifetime in eternity of communion with him. Look at that, you're quoted, Pastor Ross. <laughs> Listen, if you're a visitor or if you're a normal member or whatever, if you don't have peace with the Father through Jesus, you're not reconciled with the Father through the Son, please come talk with us. This communion, this intimacy, this rest, this life is available for you. So church, let us regularly retreat to be with the Father in the arena so that we can be that community he called us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I know that this sermon is one that resonates, and I know that even right now, so many hearts are longing for this kind of rest and community with you and health with you so that we can be all that you've called us to be, and yet I know that the deck is so stacked against us. We are one phone call or text away from spiraling and running to isolation instead of true solitude in the Ramos with you. I pray that you protect my people. You teach us how to implement these healthy rhythms so that we can be with you. Thank you, Father, that you already want to be with us. You're waiting for us. You're so patient with us when we ignore you, when we choose Instagram over you, when we choose food over you, or alcohol over you, or when we choose porn over you. You're so patient, constantly pursuing us in our mess. And I pray that we would respond to this grace and not spurn your mercy, but receive your mercy and run to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for one year from now that this church, our community, would be so transformed with this rhythm that we would, our souls would be healthier than ever and that the result would be our community is flourishing more than ever. Would you do this for your glory? Give us the grace to do this for your glory and our joy in you. In Jesus' name. And in just a moment here, we're going to have a meal with Jesus. We're going to take a... Take